Hello and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Heroku in the Wild series. Today, we're going to talk about home automation with Zach Feldman, VP of Technology at Getaway. I'm Jason Salas, a member of the Heroku support team at Salesforce and automation and gadget enthusiast. Zach, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, I'm Zach Feldman. As mentioned, I'm the VP of Technology at Getaway House. Uh, that's getaway.house. Uh, what we do is we build tiny cabins in nature, about two hours outside the city where people go for a night or two to disconnect from work, you know, from Wi-Fi routines, and actually just take a break from their lives. Um, before working at Getaway, I was the co-founder and chief academic officer of the New York Code and Design Academy which is a programming school. Uh, and before that, I was a software developer at Contently. I'm really happy to be at Getaway now to help people, you know, really escape and, you know, re reconnect with what's important to them out in nature. It's a bit of an irony with using technology to be able to let people escape from technology, but that's certainly where conveniences have brought us in the last, well, basically since the 2000s, I guess I'd say. Yeah, it's a pretty strange thing, I know. And it's also weird to be VP of technology for a company that, you know, de-emphasizes technology so much. But what I think we do is we use technology where it's needed. And then, you know, we use just good old fashioned business sense and, you know, a sense of what a consumer really wants everywhere else and focus on that, you know, the solitude, uh, emphasis on doing nothing, you know, and all these other things that make our product so unique. So I was looking around at Getaway Service and I saw six locations currently outside of some pretty major metropolitans. That's right. Yeah. Uh, we're lucky enough to have locations outside of New York, Washington, D.C., Boston, um, Atlanta, Portland, uh, also between Pittsburgh and Cleveland. And we're pretty close to having our first guests, guests at our Los Angeles location. So a couple of questions about the service itself. Um, I have a couple of home automation devices around the house. It started with Philips Hue bulbs. Uh, I've expanded into mm -hmm. a couple of outdoor, uh, an outdoor camera in addition to a doorbell camera, most recently garage uh, garage door automation as well, uh, and all of these all of these are fairly all disconnected technologies from each other, and they usually have some kind of a tie. Be it the Google Home, uh, a, a, a litany of devices that they publish, HomeKit with any uh, with any HomeKit hub, such as an Apple TV, HomePod, even an iPad, etc. Uh, and all of these things that kind of tie everything together through an API or other sort of centralized communication communication method. But the one point that strikes me is that in setting all of these up, I, as a homeowner with these devices, have to very explicitly say, this device is in this room. The database, the, the system knows that this device is a light switch. It has an on and off state, maybe a color, maybe an intensity, those sorts of things. But it's still a lot of very disconnected devices that I have to set up every time. So could you give us a rundown on how many of these devices are in any of these getaway homes and what the setup profile for visitors, for guests looks like? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, the devices aren't really super accessible from the guest side. So it's mostly about, you know, making sure they have a great experience without even having to interact that much with technology. Um, so, you know, most of the tooling and uh, things that we've built are to control these items uh, from our side and make sure that if somebody calls us and they're locked out of their cabin at two in the morning, we can help them out, you know, and trigger that unlock, uh, you know, and just really make sure they have a great experience while they're staying with us. 
I've unfortunately not been able to be a customer of Getaway yet. There's no location near me, uh, but travel is certainly an option and being able to get there. Uh, what I have done is been to hotels that are starting to offer more and more smart integrations. Uh, earlier this year, I was in one that had a reasonable amount of in-home control, but the vast majority of hotels, typically you have the app, check in, and then you get a digital key where you can wander up, hit the button, uh, hit the button in the app, wait a couple of seconds, and then the door makes its the door mechanism makes its chime that you're able to get in. What makes Getaway more unique against these sorts of experiences that seemingly most hotels have adopted? Uh, well, you know, as I said, technology really needs to fade into the background at Getaway. But like any modern company, we have to use technology uh, because everyone uses it, you know, in their daily lives. So, for instance, our booking process, um, you don't ever call a hotel these days to make your booking. You know, you're going to go online to their website and do it. So uh, we've got a great website, desktop and mobile experience to allow you to really easily book a room at Getaway. Uh, we also allow guests to reschedule and even cancel their reservations themselves through their getaway account. So you currently book through us. We don't currently work with any OTAs. Uh, and we've really iterated this uh, checkout process to make it really easy and seamless for guests, whether they're on desktop or mobile, with completely separate experiences built for both, uh, you know, with the limitations of those platforms in mind. Uh, and really just allowing guests to self-service and help themselves out rather than having to contact us. Uh, we also have notifications to keep you informed about your reservation in a friendly way. So, you know, we obviously will send you a confirmation email once you book. Uh, we'll remind you seven days before your stay that it's coming up and, you know, what things to keep in mind for your getaway stay to make sure that it's really fun. Uh, we also will send you a lot of text messages uh, if you're into that. So making sure that you know, you know, what your door code is that day. Uh, and once again, just kind of, you know, up to the minute updates on whatever's important. So uh, if there's any special information for the location you're checking into, we'll make sure to include that. Uh, and then there's two or three other systems that are really helpful for guests. So we also have a guest feedback system. So every single day uh, within our company Slack and also through our emails, we'll get notifications about things that guests are saying about Getaway. Uh, it's very important for us to see and hear, you know, the guests and make sure that they're really happy and, and having a great experience. That's what hospitality is all about. Our CEO reads a lot of those personally, just responding to them. Uh, and then finally, you know, really, I think one of the more interesting things we do is the in-house technology. So you know, we have leak sensors in all the houses. If there's a leak underneath the sink, uh, you know, water damage is a huge problem architecturally uh, and foundationally. And so we can fix problems in hours that other businesses could have problems with for days. You know, if you have a leak in your business and you don't find out for a day, it could mean that that unit is offline uh, for a very long time, but we have an advantage there. Uh, and then one of the most exciting things is that we built our own uh, door lock system. So you know, piggybacking off of some existing technology, we created a system that will change the code every day for the guest arriving. Um, it allows people to kind of come up and just punch in their code and not have to interact with a human or a front desk. And people really like that. And there really were only a few things commercially available to support this effort. And so we really ended up building our own solution ourselves, uh, you know, mostly from scratch using some consumer components, but, you know, tying it all together with a lot of code. Uh, and of course, our great host, Heroku. <laughs> You mentioned a lot of details in there about ever-changing details, things nearby uh, the the door code to get into the house in the first place. But how can customers who visit actually be able to truly disconnect while they're while they are in one of these getaway homes? That's a great question, Jason. So obviously, you know, it's one thing to disconnect while you're at the house, but it's another to disconnect on the journey. 
uh, we do encourage people to really, you know, disconnect as much as they can. But, uh, you know, getting there is one thing uh, and getting into the cabin is another. Uh, we have people, we encourage people to print out directions and just have a kind of an analog way to arrive. But, you know, in the modern world we live in, that can be very tough. You want to see the traffic updates, you know, you want to get there the fastest way. Uh, so what we really encourage disconnection is in the cabins themselves. Uh, what we've done is we've put a cell phone lockbox in every cabin. So when you arrive, we encourage you to put your phone in there. Uh, there's actually not a physical lock on the box, but there is a latch. And the idea is that if your phone is in there and it's off or on silent, that you're hopefully not going to use it during your stay. Uh, and you really can, you know, disconnect. The systems I was talking about allow you to do that. So if you memorize your door lock code, you're not going to need to use your phone to refer back to it. Um, but if you do, you know, maybe you look in your cell phone lockbox for a moment and we don't really frown upon that, but we do encourage you to not be, you know, constantly checking your phone and to be a lot more in the moment uh, because, you know, a getaway is supposed to be kind of a healing experience. It's supposed to be a bit of a place for you to make a lifestyle change or for you to think critically about what's been going on and really like focus on your wellness. So be able to get away from timeline swiping and, and, and news skimming and all of these things yeah, that may yeah. fall into pits of lately. Yeah, just this mindless, you know, let me see what the next post on the feed is. You know, we're trying to break that feedback loop by having you put your phone in that box and just close the lid and not think about it the rest of your stay. So with all things technology powered and everything else, what does happen if a guest is locked out, doesn't remember their code, uh, the battery on the lock unit is dead, their phone is inside? What is the... Uh, in this case, the very analog disaster recovery story? That's a great question. Uh, well, part of building technology for getaways, you know, dealing with the realities of where our locations are. All of them are, you know, an hour and a half to two hours outside of major cities. Uh, so not a lot of my engineering friends have this problem where, you know, there's very limited internet options or reception or anything to communicate, you know, with whatever their servers are out in the field. You know, for me, those servers are a bunch of tiny houses uh, that are set up for us, you know, with various home automation technologies. Um, but, you know, we need to have a backup in case, you know, those technologies fail us because, you know, for various reasons they can. I mean, if the batteries in the lock are dead, then they're dead. And, you know, we try to proactively replace them, but it happens sometimes. So uh, we do have manual lock systems as a backup. Um, and basically what that means is, you know, there's a spare key somewhere. Uh, we can help you locate it. And then we also have 24-hour GX support. So our guest experience team is always on the line ready to answer your call. Uh, and for our locations with very limited cell service, we also have an emergency phone. And you can always call them and say, hey, you know, I got locked out of my cabin. The code's not working. The battery's dead. Uh, you know, I tried everything else and, you know, this just isn't working. Uh, and they're very happy to help you. And I assume those phones are probably solar powered, small battery, just enough to make a good old analog uh, uh, POTS phone call back to uh, back to you folks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're really, um, like I said, we have to figure out how to get these things working out in the middle of nowhere. So as an example, uh, we actually weren't able to do solar power off the grid for the most recent installation. We had to do a trench, you know, install a bunch of actual, a line to the actual phone where we wanted it to be placed. Uh, you know, we're solving pretty difficult problems that aren't just as simple as, you know, sliding the, uh, the slider on Heroku to add more servers. You know, you need to actually get somebody out there with a shovel uh, and dig a trench. So uh, that's what makes this job pretty exciting to me. Wow. Yeah, I guess I'm comparing it to like um, roadside highway uh, emergency callback uh, call boxes, where generally speaking, they are they are in vast open areas uh, with the solar panel that can be aimed at the peak of the sun's traversal across the sky. But in these locations, they're probably I imagine many of them are heavily forested and natural and have a lot of uh, and easily would obscure sunlight 
I'm sure hydropower is not necessarily a recurring option and those sorts of things. So just, just close enough to grid services while not being next to a power plant or something exactly obnoxious like that we did a lot of experimentation in the early days with off the grid technology you know this was like a few years ago and you know although it's very interesting and i think there's a lot of there's a big future in it you know it really wasn't there yet as far as like making sure things are really reliable for guests so uh you know obviously we have an eye towards sustainability and we carry that out in other ways but um yeah sometimes you do have to just run a line you know that's just the easiest way to do something so you've mentioned scaling a couple of times now, um, and I can, uh, I, again, I as a homeowner with these individual devices, I can see one, two, maybe three houses with sufficient uh, modern conveniences of reliable ISP-backed internet and everything else. But what does scaling look like to cover every single house in every single site that Getaway offers, sir, that, uh, that Getaway has cabins in? Uh, you know, before I go into that, I'd love to talk a little bit about how we built the lock system, you know, in the early days, because back then we only had three or four cabins. Uh, and then I can definitely go back and talk about scaling as well. Makes sense. Start with start with how you did it and then uh, go into how you scaled it up to multiple locations. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, when I first started at Getaway, I was a freelancer, like a lot of people at early stage companies. Um, and basically, you know, I was paid in a little bit of cash and a little bit of free nights. So I would spend a lot of time up at the Catskill location. Uh, you know, writing code by a fire, which is pretty fun. Uh, and one of my first tasks was, you know, we need to change the codes every time a new guest checks in. You know, right now, the way we're doing it is we're actually opening up the back of the lock and changing it, uh, you know, manually for each cabin. And we have around four or five cabins, so it's not a huge deal. But imagine if we had 14, 15, 16, 20, 100 one day. Uh, this really isn't a scalable system. So, you know, scalability was the first thing that started this conversation about how to build a new lock system. Uh, and what I did was, you know, in one of the, in a few of these trips, uh, sitting by the fire outside of my cabin, started working on uh, a new lock changing system for getaway, uh, you know, testing the code, uh, you know, just kind of trying different things uh, and really just making sure that whatever I built would actually work for one cabin to start with. So, uh, you know, that was pretty fun. I went up there for probably three or four nights before I got to something that would work. And basically it was a magical moment when I deployed the code. You know, I hit that unlock button and I heard the magical <laughs> and suddenly the lock was unlocked. Um, obviously, I tried probably 50 times before that with no luck. But, of course. Uh, you know, in that case, the Z-Wave signal traveled and lock unlocked. And I was suddenly an extremely happy person. So <laughs> after that, uh, it was a question of, OK, this works in one cabin. Uh, how can we deploy it to the rest of the fleet? At that point, the fleet was less than 10 cabins. So, you know, as that freelancer, I just started walking around looking at how those cabins were set up. Um, you know, ordering some identical equipment and installing that in the other cabins, you know, seeing if the system would actually work across more than one cabin. So, uh, you know, it worked well at first and it really did scale out, you know, to that number of cabins. Uh, There was a lot of learning. There was a lot of trial and error as we did that. You know, after we deployed the system to around 20 or 30 cabins, I was in a cabin one night at our pop-up in Staten Island that we did for one summer. um, And I was testing the system, testing out some new code unlocking, locking, unlocking, locking. Um, And I was selecting the right lock to work on and suddenly the code stopped working for some reason. Uh, And I just kept hitting lock and unlock over and over again or running the equivalent commands from my Rails console and nothing was happening. Um, And then I made a small change and suddenly everything started working again. 
Uh, and it turns out, you know, the next day we got a message from some guests who said, I think there's a ghost in our room. The lock keeps locking and unlocking over and over again. It won't stop. Uh, it only stopped after around 30 minutes. And that's when I realized I'd selected the wrong house ID to work on. Uh, and unfortunately, I'd made these guests think, think there was a ghost of some kind, you know, haunting their cabin. Uh, so that was, you know, we've come a long way from that. And uh, we're not, you know, unlocking the wrong doors at this point, as far as I'm aware of. And I don't think there's any ghosts. So there's nothing to be afraid of, just some errant code. <laughs> We, we, as, we as engineers all know that continuing to do something that isn't working is often foolish, assuming, assuming the operation is determinate. Um, but that is a, a, a very interesting way to think that doing something over and over, even if you don't see it in your destination, may be inadvertently affecting some other destination entirely um, that is in production somewhere in this particular case. Exactly. It seems like there've been a few outages in the last few weeks that have been caused by something like that, you know, and hug ops. I mean, I feel bad for all of them because nobody's ever trying to bring the site down, but yeah, I mean, it can just happen where you've selected the wrong environment. It's a big problem. So, (laughs) so with this scale that you're currently at of the number of cabins and locations, do you know of a upper boundary of scaling with any current implementation, hardware, software, anything else along those lines? Is there is there a known ceiling to you today? Yes, there definitely is. Um, we're relying on some kind of more you know consumer-based solutions right now. We're up to around 150 cabins, uh, and it's working all right. But you know, there's a few parts of the system. You know, some parts of the system rely on web scraping, for instance, and we know that that can be a bit unreliable. Uh, as an example, we added you know another 25 hubs to our system two or three weeks ago. And one of the jobs that, you know, checks on lock status failed, you know, I went in to take a look at it and realized it was because suddenly we were on page two and there'd never been a page two before. So, you know, we've all been there. We build a system for one, you know, sense of scale and then it outgrows that sense of scale. And then suddenly you're at the new normal, uh, but you haven't written code to get yourself to the new normal. So <laughs> that was a fun day of just a lot of patching and figuring out, okay, how do I, you know, paginate while using a web scraper? Um, and make sure that it's reliable and every single time it works correctly. Yeah, and to not even say anything along the lines of, I'm assuming anything from sessions to straight up uh, to, to actual persistent cookies or anything else along these lines. Um, yeah, there's the, a lot the, of potential issues when you're doing web scraping. So. The interactivity of, of, of clicking the link to the next page or the page number, what have you, is probably the easiest part, in my opinion, of of the whole thing because it's uh, uh, ideally is just reloading a new view of the same content that you continue to iterate through, but it's all the rest of the details of things we take for granted in a web transaction that you have (laughs) to start doing to have persistence uh, across not just page two, but assuming uh, you haven't gotten up to page five or six by now or anything else along those lines. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to just go to page two. You want to go to page N, you know, whatever that N is. So, right. you know, we're using, uh, to get into specifics on the web scraping, you know, we're using Capybara, which is a pretty popular, you know, framework for testing. And we're using it to kind of just get additional data about the system. Um, and one of the problems with it is that, you know, you go to test it out using Chrome driver on your laptop uh, and everything's looking great. But then if you want to get it into production, you want to use something like, you know, I think it's Poltergeist, which is like basically headless, you know, it doesn't need to have an actual window open. It can actually just scrape, you know, kind of server side. Um, And you go to test it in Chromium and and it works fine. And then you go to the headless setup and suddenly you're having all these problems about finding things and it's much harder to troubleshoot. Um, So a big learning from that was like figure out how to take screenshots at least when you're using a headless browser 
um, if you can't follow along interactively. And then that'll show you kind of where the browser is at. Um, and that saved me countless hours. So, Right. Yeah. The library differences between a desktop and a server is constantly a constant battle in engineering because try as we might, environments always differ in some manner. And, and there's no lack of technologies to attempt to mitigate that. But it's it's only as good as the tools we have put together while also putting together uh, the project that we want to do. You know, the fun part of of engineering and not the part that we have to put up with to have this infrastructure. Exactly. My project wasn't to improve Capybara as much as I'd like to. It was to just get the <laughs> scraping to work. But luckily, there's so many helpful posts on Stack Overflow and all those other sources um, that I was able to figure all those things out. So you've gone from manual code rotation to the first steps of automation uh, by yourself in a couple of cabins in one particular site. But how did that wind up scaling up to multiple locations that you don't actually need somebody nearby in each of the six getaway locations? So the way that it's scaling up to multiple locations, you know, without having to have too much human interaction is honestly dealing with errors correctly. So, you know, just like building any type of software, you want to know when your system has failed so that you can actually take some action on that. Um, and part of what we've done is, you know, if there is a problem changing a lock, and once again, these are really adverse conditions, you know, these are cabins in the middle of the woods, you know, this isn't a data center that's hooked into the Google cloud or something, you know, these are just, you know, houses that are in the woods. So uh, failures happen occasionally you know, running the job. And what we've built is a system that alerts uh, the site team. You know, we have people that are local, that are on site, that are making sure the guests have a great experience, turning over the cabins, you know, just looking after things. Um, and they're, they're a huge part of the team. You know, we wouldn't be able to do what we do without them. Uh, so if any of them are listening, thanks. Um, but, you know, what we do is we, we build a system that is resilient enough that if we have a problem communicating with a cabin, uh, we send an automated text to those local staff members and tell them, hey, you know, this cabin may have had an issue you know, changing over today, you may want to take a look at that, you know, make sure the code is set correctly. So, you know, for when you're building solutions that are for like low connectivity environments or environments with almost no connectivity, you're going to have to have some type of backup for when your server can't talk to the client. And sometimes that is just a human going there and, and taking care of it. Um, it still really solves a huge problem for us because even if only 95% of cabins are, you know, returning success, uh, that still saves a ton of work going cabin to cabin, changing locks, you know, manually. Absolutely. And it frees up it frees up the human resources to be able to focus on the things that do need to be maintained, living spaces, bedrooms, those sorts of things. But then if another issue is identified, you have a human on site and you can communicate with them in an automated basis to say exactly as you said, hey, can you test this lock? Make sure it's working. It apparently didn't update. Should be this. Yeah, go from there. Exactly. But you're right. I mean, I'd rather they be working on, okay, is everything in the provisions bin that's supposed to be, you know, um, did we write a really nice guest note to the guest to say hello and, and hope they have a great stay? You know, I don't want them to be thinking about, did the lock code change correctly? You know, right. that's the technology's job to take care of. So we try to make it as easy as possible for them and as painless as possible so that they can really focus on that guest wellness experience. Any other funny stories like the, uh, the, the, the ghost lock? Interactivity? <laughs> um, luckily, not too many. Um, you know, it's really just, um, you know, just like I said, kind of getting that last 5% ironed out. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about some of the UX improvements we made after launching the first version. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, you know, obviously the first step was how do we go from a world of changing locks every time, you know, manually that a guest checks into, you know, automatically changing them. That was step number one. 
after that, it was a question of, well, what happens if somebody gets locked out, you know, and they don't remember their code? Uh, is there any way to let them in remotely? So uh, one of the things we built is a dashboard for our staff where they can, you know, take care of that and handle it for guests. Obviously heavily guarded, uh, you know, and secured, but people log in and they can, you know, let a guest into their cabin if they're locked out, which is really helpful. Another really huge improvement that I've really enjoyed seeing rolled out was the ability for guests to text us the word lock or unlock and then have their cabin respond appropriately. So this was a huge win for me. And as a home automation and home control enthusiast, I was really you know happy to see this one roll out. Uh, and then I was happy to see guests actually start using it, You know, looking at the logs, seeing people text the word lock and unlock, and then replying and saying, oh my gosh, my cabin just unlocked. That's magical. Um, you know, and once again, that's really what technology at Getaway is all about is like, not just, you know, how can we provide a base experience and let people make a reservation, but like, how can we make it a little magical for them and have that moment of, oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened, <laughs> you know? So it's an example of where, you know, there's something is tech enabled, but it empowers the guests to help themselves instead of having to run down to the front desk or hoping somebody will answer the phone line. Um, although we're available to help them if they need it. Um, another, you know, great thing about this system is that it kind of removes the barrier for non-English speakers. So we actually do have a lot of guests that, you know, English isn't their first language or they actually don't speak it at all. Uh, you can tell that because if you look at the reservations that come in, some of them are actually in non-Latin characters. So I can tell English may not really be their first language if they're writing their name in a completely different one. Uh, and when they come in, it's really nice for them to know, okay, I have my cabin key code. I can translate that email, you know, see what that is. I just have to memorize this number. And then if they, uh, you know, text unlock or lock, pretty simple words to learn uh, and memorize, you know, they can help themselves. They don't have to worry about calling somebody and worry about speaking the same language as them. Uh, you know, we love all our international guests. Uh, it's really cool to have, you know, a following around the world. <laughs> Despite the fact that all these locations currently reside in the U.S. doesn't mean it's only American English as a first language speakers that are the, that, that are guests uh, in these cabins. Uh, I, I'm sure I need not say anything about international travel and how prolific it is. And people will have their city experiences, but they would love any kind of a more rural getaway for this kind of opportunity as well, if they come across it. Exactly. And we get a lot of people that are kind of tourists that are coming through New York City and, you know, they're going to spend two or three nights there, but then they want to actually disconnect and see something outside of the city. So we provide a pretty fun experience for that type of group. Um, and in a lot of other countries, it's seen as like a very important wellness and health thing to spend time in the forest, just like among the trees, you know, disconnected from technology and society. Right. Uh, you know, some people call it forest bathing, which I think is kind of a funny term, but, you know, I, I like it too. Uh, basically just, you know, you in the forest and that's it, you know, nothing else. And just examining that connection, you know, focusing on your health and focusing on, you know, getting better as a human <laughs> and being able, going back to being able to SMS lock or unlock uh, to be able to get that state in your cabin, not only have there been a lot of recent attempts to have a, uh, a dumb phone to augment your, uh, your smartphone or a, a feature phone to augment your smartphone, but feature phones generally don't have third-party app support, um, a SMS fallback has a lot more history than than the, you know, app world that we've been in for the last 11 years now. Uh, and any, any seems phone like longer. With... <laughs> <laughs> it, it does, but well, I guess it, it technically is longer because <laughs> the iPhone did not create apps, Jason. That's, uh, that's definitely <laughs> something that my brain is completely overridden, hasn't it? But yeah, certainly apps have been around for a long time. Uh, they've certainly become more ubiquitous where, 
the barrier to entry for people to come in and have this interactivity has become incredibly simple. SMS is a very viable medium to be able to support to increase the the amount of interactivity that that customers can make use of. Yeah, we've really noticed that like a lot of our customers obviously they live on their phones, but you know, SMS is a really good way to reach them. You have to be very respectful of that channel because, you know, when people get a text, they kind of view it as urgent. So, right. we try not to we really try not to send too many text messages. Um, but we also built systems so that, you know, if somebody texts us and we haven't gotten a text from them before, you know, we're able to look them up very easily and see all the reservation information and be able to help them out as quickly as possible. You know, that technology is another thing that runs in the background that makes it so that we can provide a really great guest experience. You know, that way if Jason texts me and I haven't gotten a text from him so far, I can say, oh, Jason does have a booking coming up in a week. It looks like he's in uh, the Babe house and he's in the Catskill location. And his question is, you know, what are the nearest grocery stores to there? You know, uh, which is a question we get a lot. And I can just, you know, refer to my list of that really quickly and get back to him as soon as possible. You know, our community team is always trying really hard to get back to people quickly. Obviously, that's a huge thing, especially in this type of business where people are out kind of in the woods uh, and they need answers to their questions fairly quickly uh, or else, you know, they have to go somewhere else. So. so where does your tech team go from here? So obviously, there's huge potential here for Getaway. Um, as we've seen recently, we just closed our Series B, uh, which is really exciting. Uh, and we're really hoping to blow out the, the company to the rest of the country, have locations outside of a lot of major cities. Uh, so we've laid the foundation for kind of our huge growth here. Uh, we are hiring a back-end developer on the team. So if anyone out there is listening and is interested, uh, it's Ruby on Rails focus. There's a React front-end for our e-commerce apps. But as you've heard, there's a lot of other interesting technology that goes beyond you know, a simple web application that I think a lot of people would find interesting. Uh, there's going to be a lot of challenges as we grow and, and kind of scale. Uh, what I'd like to do is get to the point where even if we're on an island in the middle of nowhere in the Pacific, I can still unlock the door. Uh, you know, if you're locked out, you know, if you if you go to the bonfire that night and come back and realize, oh, snap, I lost my keys, you should still be able to get in touch and we should be able to help you out. Uh, but of course, no Wi-Fi. Um, speaking of that, the tech team has had a lot of good cross-team collaboration within the company. So one of our recent efforts is that we formed a committee called the Stranded Getaway Committee that was all about figuring out what to do with our newest outpost in Portland. Uh, there really is no cell service out there for any major carrier at all. And so the question was, you know, of course, guests are supposed to disconnect and they're supposed to not use their phones. But, you know, what if you're just lost and you can't get to the outpost? I mean, that's a huge issue. So the question was, what information do we send out in advance? You know, what do we encourage guests to do? You know, how do we make sure that the guests who are going to the Portland outpost still have a great experience and are able to find things and get everything they need without a cell phone? Um, so that included, you know, like I said, a lot of this messaging that changed and then also an emergency phone on the site, you know, that does have a working, you know, dial tone and you pick it up uh, using, you know, local cable lines uh, to make sure that guests can really help themselves. So, you know, a lot of the growth at Getaway and the tech team is going to be like cross-departmental and cross, you know, collaboration kind of. Uh, and that's because we're not really a technology company. You know, we're a hospitality company that has a bit of technology to assist us uh, and just make it really easy for guests to have that wellness experience. Um, so, you know, it's really cool for us as engineers to be able to holistically look at the entire guest experience online and offline and engineer something to help them, even if that thing is, you know, a person helping them out at the end of the day. Um, you know, finally, I think like another important thing for us is just the lock system itself. The, like I said, 95% of the time, you know, we're pretty good. People are getting into their cabins. Um, but yeah, due to cell connectivity, due to, you know, our code, due to lots of things, 
Uh, there's still some, you know, cases where we have trouble communicating with the house or the lock. And what I'd like to do is, you know, go from some cases to basically zero cases or have it be extremely fluky uh, where the lock code doesn't change. Uh, and that's a big goal for us, you know, this year going into Q3 and Q4. You folks using just enough technology to be able to let people get away from it as much as possible. Exactly. Pretty weird, right? <laughs> weird concept for me, but I've been a, I've been a city boy all my life. So, you know, uh, <laughs> there is something to be said for being in an open area away from this compulsive arrangement uh, and also being able to enjoy the uh, enjoy the location with peers that you don't already know if you're uh, if you're <laughs> extroverted enough for that sort of thing uh, and if you're not then you have your own you have a space to call your own and you can uh, disconnect and be have your own place to do meditation yoga reading whatever uh, uh, coloring books uh, yeah fiber arts i was gonna say coloring any any sort of artistic envisioning uh musical uh, musical practice or recording or anything else like that absolutely uh, the, the option for all of this to exist is is absolutely incredible to see thanks yeah or just have you know just have a campfire you know, with your friends, like that's, you know, sometimes I tell people we just sell campfires, you know, people in the city who are in apartments can't have them. And there's something really nice about <laughs> sitting around a fire with everyone who's important to you, right. you know, and just relaxing, kicking back, talking with people and putting your phone in the lockbox. <laughs> Zach Feldman is the VP of technology at Getaway. Thank you very much for your time. Of course, Jason, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.